Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. It's 9.01 on the 20th of May, 2022. It's the news of the week. Welcome to the Entity News of the Week. Good morning, Jen. Good evening, Jen. All right. So, uh, good evening. It is uh, the 19th, uh, 9 p.m. in the evening. Right. You're on the evening. So good evening. Um, the news of the week. We've got quite some crazy stories to go over this week. Quite a busy week. So the Buffalo shooting There's a shooting yes, at Buffalo, the premises Buffalo shooting. Uh, also another shooting in the U.S. in Laguna Woods, as well, of course, as then the surrender or evacuation of the Azov Regiment and other fighters in Mariupol. Uh, we'll also be talking about rivers, uh, river crossing at Severodonetsk in the Ukraine conflict. A statement from the Communist Party of the Russian Federation, Turkey um, blocking Sweden and Finland's attempt to join NATO, as well as perhaps Croatia, the US invading Somalia now, recently, 1.7 billion people um, could be pushed into hunger and poverty, according to Antonio Guterres, due to the Ukraine conflict. India is going to limit its wheat, its wheat, wheat exports. Uh, Sri Lanka, we're going to be reading an article about Sri Lanka from the communists. And then bird flu and monkeypox. Quite a hectic week. So Buffalo shooting, Jen. Uh, let's, let's talk about this. So go ahead. Do you get that, Jen? Hello? Can you hear me at all? Hello? Oh, <laughs> uh, hello? Hey, can you hear me? Okay, we seem to be having a little bit of a technical okay, yeah, problem. Okay, the, there we go. Yeah, uh, there is okay. literally a lightning storm going on, so connection is not stable. Okay. Um, Buffalo shooting. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, I assume the last time I heard you, uh, we are going to talk about the uh, two shootings in the United States first. Right, is that's that it, that's it. Buffalo shooting, yeah, Buffalo shooting. Okay, yeah. So um, the, the there were two shootings. Uh, 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 in fact, it, uh, it started happening right after uh, we um, finished our episode uh, last week. It happened the, the day yeah. after, right? Um, and uh, well, so there was one shooting in Buffalo, New York, on the East Coast, uh, and then another in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, one is in a uh, grocery store in a uh, uh, you know majority black community. Another is a Presbyterian church, you know. So uh, the first case in the Buffalo shooting is um, definitely racially motivated, and um, yeah. a part of this. Uh, so this shooter is this eighteen-year-old uh, guy. Um, you know, uh, we, uh, me personally, I dug up his uh, manifesto and uh, uh, read through the whole thing. It's 180 plus pages long, a lot of just spams and useless info, memes. Um, some of it reads like a shopping guide of like uh, 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 surplus military goods and, and advice, advice for guns, uh, 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 what guns to use, and et cetera, et cetera, that kind of stuff. Mm. But um, on the political side of things, uh, at the level of conception, uh, is uh, just straight up uh, neo-Nazi uh, 
Azov uh, kind of thing mm. with this, uh, you know, uh, very like national socialist uh, Bandera uh, 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 kind of uh, thing where, uh, you know, he wears the uh, black sun uh, uh, Nazi symbol on right. his chest. He uh, comes from this kind of like uh, ethnic total war mindset. You know, ever that started ever since literally you know, Nazi Germany, and um, he uh, essentially, uh, how would I say? It's a, it's in a very, it's a very weird blend of. Uh, well, I mean, from the perspective of uh, you know psychoanalysis, this is just a guy that is um, a pervert, so to speak. Where it is like his own insistence, his own mental picture on how the world works, not how the world actually objectively works. Yeah. And so he wants to impose that imagination that uh, gives him uh, validation uh, onto the world in the form of, of course, we know what happened, senselessly killing a bunch of innocent people in a grocery store in a majority you know, poor black neighborhood. You know, there are a lot of uh, uh, poor black neighborhoods that are does not have grocery stores, a food desert. So, you know, despite, mm. you know, capitalism and all that, to even just to be able to have a grocery store is, you know, mm. a, 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 a huge uh, a blessing, quote unquote, uh, for a lot of these uh, 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 poorer neighborhoods. Doesn't matter your skin color, right? And for right. him to just be like doing all this is like, you know, uh, uh, just. So, I mean, morally, just extremely wrong on so many levels. We can talk about all the implications, but on a materialistic level, like, you know, this is the result of what happens when you uh, tolerate uh, actual Nazism in order to fight again, if, uh, in order to keep up the fight for imperialism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, like liberalism and imperialism has always done that. They've always done it in the past. History yeah. has proven that again and again. Stalin talks yeah. about liberals being the left wing of fascism and how they right. always cover for the uh, actual right wing of fascism, which is this, and um, in uh, 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 defense of capitalism against essentially any anti-imperialist uh, force in the world. In this case, would be Russia. Mm. Um, so, you know. Um, right. Yeah, right, this right. is like yeah. when you tolerate yeah. that kind of ideology, of, uh, and when you give them platform over, you know, people that are actually anti-imperialist. This yeah. is what you get. It's the same ideology. Go read the thing, I guess. Right. Uh, right. One hundred percent. Yeah. yeah I, so I on the, this uh, any thoughts on, about this? I mean, yeah, that's him there. Like, yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 So, so I mean, this is a particularly again yeah. another awkward moment for Biden. So Biden you know, makes the statement that white supremacy, the ideology of white supremacy is a poison in our society and must be, you know, stopped and wiped out. And people that promote this, people that support this, you know, they should Oh, stop but Azov is just... Azov, right. So that's exactly it. Azov Battalion, right? Here it is. So NATO sends arms and money to Azov and like the same damn symbol is on this kid's chest. Like this is at the Black Sun. There it is. And... I mean, of course, we've discussed the you right. know the lightning bolts and all this stuff. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I've read somewhere this is designed by Heinrich Himmler. So I, I mean, I don't know how more 
Naziist? Do you want? Yeah, to yeah. His whole uh, Nazi yeah. mysticism thing. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's supposed to be yeah. a a symbol of demonic worship as well. So if anyone is you know religious, like you should also be mm. against this. It's literally supposed to represent the infinite portal to hell. That is uh, the, that the sun is a Cthulhu entity, a black hole hanging in the sky as a infinite portal of like dark magical power. That's from a spiritual yeah. angle what that's supposed to be, which is just a load of an absolute insane load of shit, you know. Um, so I but read, yeah. so, so now what, what, I'd like what, to talk what, about um, the other shooting. Wait, 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 one second, one second, one second. So, so I should read, yeah, so it's called the Black Sun or the Sonnenrad, employed in Nazi Germany and later by neo Nazi. Uh, as you said, it's 12 radial SIG runes, um, similar to ones employed by the SS. It appeared in Nazi Germany as a design element in a castle at Wevelsburg, remodeled and expanded by the head of the SSS, Henrik Himmler, which he intended to be a center for the SS. Okay, so, yeah, so it's very much tied to Henrik Himmler. Like, there's a symbol on their castle yeah, uh, um, and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, yeah so... It's like that um, one scene from uh, Star Wars with uh, Windu, Master Windu versus Palpatine, when he was he turned from the senator into the emperor, right? Like that mm-hmm. one scene, like I am weak, don't kill me, infinite power with infinite electric uh, uh, dark side of the force power. Yeah, that's what that symbol is supposed to represent, and it's supposed to represent mm-hmm. that the master race has you know, infinite power. I mean, we know that you know. Through the you know victory of the Soviet Union in you know nineteen forty uh, in the nineteen forties uh, on Reichstag yeah. that uh, they actually don't have infinite power so we don't need to worry about that yeah. but um, yeah. Yeah, right. if so they let, did we would the, be in a lot of trouble. Let's yeah. move on to the Laguna shooting, right? So um, this guy also another shooting in the U.S. He killed five people. Yeah, uh, I think wounded. we should move on to the other. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so the other shooting. That, see, like this is the thing, right? These things are filled with uh, political kind of uh, distortions and ops, right? Especially this uh, next shooting that we're going to be talking about, which is at the Geneva Presbyterian Church in uh, Orange County, Los Angeles, yeah. where, um, well, it's a uh, Taiwanese uh, 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 church. And I say that because um, oftentimes they don't agree with us with the idea of being like the greater idea of being Chinese uh, if they choose, you know, uh, to, like, organize in a community like that. Um, but, you know, yeah, so, uh, uh, and it is a shooting by a 60-plus-year-old uh, Taiwanese man born in the United States, went back to Taiwan, and went back to the United States and lived the majority of his life as an American. A very yeah. Americanized, uh, uh, a- American Asian kind of a name with an American Asian uh, way of uh, uh, spelling the name as well. It's not a, a, a Cho, dramatically right? a Chinese way of uh, spelling yeah. spelling your own name, right? Uh, such a guy, due to some reason, uh, went and uh, you know shot up a, a church community that uh, I assume is like. He at least has to know on a personal basis. We'll wait for the investigation reports to come out as to like why. Um, you know, being old and uh, very f- incompetent, luckily only killed you know few. 
uh, and the other uh, that one uh, were injured were still alive got tackled down by you know a, a, you know, a very brave person and uh, was hog tied up so you know already incompetent but then you know the western media uh, american media immediately threw this to be like uh, oh against taiwanese uh, china against taiwan kind of thing well, yes. okay so first of all uh, taiwanese doesn't constitute an ethnicity uh sure it can constitute some sort of political kind of sense sure but sure. then again this is not a politically motivated uh thing we've just explained to you that that uh, they're uh, very likely uh, politically all uh, more or less the same team uh the shooter and the victims um yeah. so yeah for this uh, you know so uh what are your thoughts richard before like uh, uh, i'd like I, to I, uh, explain Take this as like a insert point where we can deep dive into the political ethos of um, uh, China, Taiwan, and the U.S. Uh, sure, uh, sure, sure. Yeah. So first, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Right, right, right. So we had a request from a, a viewer last week to just talk about Taiwan briefly. So yeah, as you already said, this yeah. event was tried to you know they tried to drag the China, Taiwan, U.S. geopolitics somehow. This was related. Uh, and as you already mentioned, the guy was born in the U.S., then moved to Taiwan, lived there for a while, then moved back to the U.S. So he has, I think, little to perhaps no connection yeah. to China mainland. Um, if it's politically motivated, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. Only part of the politics has been played by by Western yeah. politicians sort of trying to draw this thing in. And like, I think with that whole conversation about Taiwan, it's very much u.s politicians that are very keen on trying to not lose focus on the confrontation with china so right now there's the confrontation with russia via ukraine and, and nato but you'll have politicians openly saying that don't lose your eye on the ball the big the big enemy here the big dog is china we need to focus on this conflict with china don't forget the pacific yeah. don't forget the pacific yeah. or the indo-pacific right so, um, I mean, this seems like quite a ham-fisted attempt <laughs> yeah. to bring, bring that back in. Um, those are my thoughts on it. But, uh, yeah, so I don't Indeed. know if you see the relation to Taiwan here on this one. So, um, yeah, there are a few aspects to uh, cover. So, you know, in China, we always say uh, the imperialist's heart desire of wanting us dead does not die. Um, this is a quote that Mao said, and um, it's still holding true today, right? So first of all, there is the, um, you know, from uh, inside members of the Chinese Ministry of State Security, who said that uh, starting this summer, towards the end of this year, China, the West is uh, currently taking this opportunity to um, uh, sabotage and weaken China and, and uh, 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 infiltrate and damage China however it can starting this summer until the end of, of uh, this year and China is going to very likely be uh, narratively and uh, uh, on a security level uh, attacked from both fronts the West mm. with uh, India is probably going to start some shenanigans again um, there's going to be the Xinjiang, uh, Xinjiang Tibet, Xizang, uh, shit again. And then from, from the east, there's going to be, you know, uh, drama about Chinese coastal cities, 
along with uh, Japan, South Korea, uh, uh, and American military harassing, you know, the, the uh, just 24-7, uh, 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 you know, China. And then there's going to be some sort of diplomatic tension. Yeah. This yeah. is a, a inside kind of intelligence right. source that's already pointing at this. And so we can already see this, right? So setting this up to be a China versus Taiwan thing immediately at the level of context and implications as well as the actual content, and, uh, which is all started thanks to the Taiwanese uh, uh, DPP, uh, the Green uh, uh, Party, which is the... Uh, it's effectively a, 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 a Ukraine situation where you can think of like Tsai Ing-wen at their, their current president as uh, uh, basically Zelensky. You know, uh, where it's a populist, uh, uh, borderline Nazi kind of uh, uh, thing uh, about essentially where the whole deal is to turn like Taiwanese indigenous sentiment against the nationalists, uh, uh, the you know uh, who invaded uh, uh, essentially yeah. and uh, uh, did a whole bunch of atrocities on Taiwanese local, uh, indigenous people. Uh, during the uh, uh, 50s to the, towards the 80s, um, to turn that sentiment against just like hatred against mainland China, which is like literally the antithesis of who oppressed them, by the way. Um, and, um, you know, the whole Chinese uh, idea of being China itself, right? And they do it through very like Fox News versus CNN, stupid extremism kind of tactics in yeah. news and commentating. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, very inobjective. It's very like, uh, you know, uh, 20 panelists shouting to the screen simultaneously politics and use the kind of clickbaity stuff that uh, like it will uh, gotcha. get you like, you know, uh, it's uh, gotcha. that that will keep your blood pressure going in no time. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. I'd say one, one thing that's the Taiwan. Uh, the, the, the since there is such like no respect for objectivity of news, right? Hmm. In Taiwan, actually, uh, this whole shooting, because it's done by Taiwanese people against Taiwanese people in America, which, you know, is like basically their uh, ideological sugar daddy, essentially. Uh, So, like, of course, it's going to be huge news there. Right. And then they have this tactic, uh, media attack, narrative tactic of um, just blame PRC as the boogeyman. Literally anything bad that's happened to them is a psyop. Is a a, a, a a sabotage, uh, is a cyber attack, uh, is a, a what they call a cognitive a warfare. Ta- uh, Taiwan syndrome, maybe we call it ta- uh, Taiwan syndrome. China. Yeah, it's I'm referencing Havana. And then the United yeah, States, yeah. Uh, American News, of course, cites that as like a legitimate source. Mm-hmm. Where it really, really is mm-hmm. just like if you read Chinese, you can just tell it's a bunch of clickbait people shouting on the screen. Oh, right, right, which right. is what they've been doing for the past thirty years, mind you. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, so some of our my, viewers my uh, asked us to one. talk about. Uh... Yeah, my my final thoughts at this one is just that the U.S. does not have time on its hand in relation to the Taiwan question. It will be resolved by China and Taiwan, and economically, like I think the economics of the relationship will define as time goes on, as uh, the Chinese economy grows. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the integration expands between China and Taiwan. I mean, I know politically right now, they're, like you said, there's this party in power. They're, they're quite right wing. They're not, they're anti, anti-mainland and all this kind of stuff. 
But if you look at the, on the economic side, the integration between the two only ever gets stronger. And as time goes on, that, you know, relationship only grows. So, yeah. you know, maybe you have a, a two part, uh, two countries, one system or whatever kind of arrangement. Um, sorry, two, two countries, yeah, two countries, one system. Yeah, because right, like, right. It's on a civilizational conceptual country, level, right? there is still plenty of... Uh, wise people in Taiwan that are may not necessarily be communists they might be like Christian or a, a, a Buddhist or what have you that still is like pro-China because they are for the civilizational idea of you know China the Middle Kingdom and all of that it's still a hugely like a present sentiment there, right which is yeah. being kind of uh, destroyed by uh, what uh, Taiwanese uh, is currently pushing for, like a very American thing. It's called the depatternization of history education. So when teaching history from elementary school all the way to high school, uh, they are now pushing for a way of like depatternizing as in like destroy the cause and effect chain of uh, 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 where things came from and where things ended up. To mm. essentially scramble and randomize the education and history into just like, uh, like trivial, right? So what, what does that mean? Well, it means that you will have like uh, Guan Yu, uh, the Chinese, uh, one of the Chinese uh, war gods, Hercules like figure against versus Hercules versus Napoleon versus uh, uh, uh versus uh, I, I don't know uh, uh Hitler or, or some crap. That's what the patternized education of history means. It turns, you know, uh, it's one great man history. It's a non-systematic. And uh, two, it's this kind of like, a, I don't know, like Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh kind of mentality where one historical figure with a, a, a stat card versus okay. another historical figure with a stat card, right? Right. And this has like, it has been like what history education has become in, in Taiwan, Taiwan, right? And they don't explain, like, you know, where the uh, civilizational history of the Taiwanese uh, people, like post-settler or indigenous, like, even came from, which both came from the Chinese civilization, by the way. Uh, they, they don't talk about any of those, like, higher philosophical concepts anymore. They don't even talk about, like, okay, like, what is the basics of Confucianism in, like, uh, right. uh, like, a, like a bulletin point? Like, they don't even talk about that anymore. So, uh, right. yeah, it's, right. um, of course, you can see, well, like, how this kind of education contributes to, you know, a historical uh, 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 pro-imperialist uh, propaganda brainwashing, right? Right, right. If right, there's right. anyone that's actually doing cognitive warfare, it's them and you know the United States. But yeah, right. In a sense, there's actually a kind of a similarity between the first shooting and the second shooting. In that the first shooting, uh, Biden fails to recognize the relationship between the Black Sun symbology and the ideology of the shooter in Buffalo. And Azov Battalion, whereas in the second shooting or the second conversation, let's say, the Taiwanese government fails to recognize their own historical origins of the fact that they are Chinese. Um, but the question I really want to ask you, Ken, is the shooter in Laguna, when they hogtied him, did they evacuate him or did he surrender? That's the big question we have to ask ourselves. I don't know if you got that. Uh, right. I'm but sorry. You... Uh, what did they want? No, okay. No, I said, um, <laughs> I said, in the Laguna shooting, when they hogtied him, did they evacuate him or did he surrender? They uh, tackled him down and uh, tied him up, and uh, he, the <laughs> okay. suspect. Uh, I think the audio. I think the audio is not getting clear. I think. I think the audio. 
<laughs> I think the audio is not getting through. I was saying, did they evacuate him or did he surrender? So I'm obviously referencing Mariupol and the, the, the Azov Battalion. I don't know if you can get that or not. I don't know how much his audio is coming well, through. Well, yeah. Um, speaking of surrendering. Yes. Yeah, what, what, what a theme. What a transition. Okay, yeah. So, 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 um, so Mariupol. Mariupol. Yeah, Let's uh, move on to, the, uh, to Ukraine Mariupol, and Mariupol. In the Azov style, uh, yeah, steel plant. Yeah. The massive uh, six-story uh, nuclear bunker complex. Um, the Nazis surrendered. Like literally, yeah. like we should be playing the Soviet anthem right now because, like, that's right, the right, song right, you right, play right. when the Nazis surrendered, right? Yeah, yeah. All like seventeen hundred thirty of them um, are just like, you know, uh, sent on buses and just like wet, which like. Yeah, um, the whole, I mean, this, like, once again shows, like, the kind of uh, rather merciful approach that Russia has t- taken to, to this whole conflict. Because, like, you could, as we said, it's, you know, there's a lot of bodies of water in Ukraine. You could just, like, dig divert and divert a river towards the steel factory plant and just drown everyone in there. That's an option gas everything in there, uh, 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 find every hole and uh, uh, deplete their oxygen. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, like these are all things you could have, they could have done, but or even better, just blow up every hole, every exit, and call it, uh, seal it up with a concrete and rebars. That's also think, an option. But right, Russia right, didn't right. do that. Instead, all yeah. every single one of them came out and became POWs and are unhurt. They just, yeah, yeah. but if, yeah. like Lock themselves yeah. into a prison for like a month. And, right, and, right, 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 right. So, there's, there's a lot of points to make about their war crimes. So, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, that is extremely merciful. Like, uh, and you know, make no mistake, uh, it's a, it's a surrender. We um, we gave up arms. It's a ceasefire. We were transported to Russia. We are transported to POW uh, Russian POW camps. We are treated as POWs. Transfer. But that's yeah, not a surrender. Yeah. It's an evacuation, according to the right, list. Right, 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 right. So th- this is the thing, right? So this, this word surrender. So this is why we made this the title of this episode, because it's ridiculous. Like, so this is proper sort of like all well, you know, words, don't, words are what you say they mean. They don't really mean what they mean. You know, the idea of an evacuation and a corridor. So again, as you yeah. said, they lay down their arms. The Russians then search them. They give up their position. They are then taken into trucks and buses run by the Russians or the DPR forces, driven to a camp of the Russians choosing in Russian territory or DPR territory. And then um, they're, you know, uh, I guess, questioned. And Mm -hmm. some of them are going probably like there's this um, push in parliament, Russian parliament, the Duma, to make the Azov battalion into a terrorist organization. So if that passes, then these guys will be treated as terrorists. And the as of particular hardcore, like, you know, Nazi tattoo, proper hardcore members will be treated as or trialed as terrorists. I assume there will be an exchange of prisoners at some point. But again, this whole idea of like um, a negotiation about the fact that there was an evacuation, they're being swapped for prisoners. So if they're being swapped for prisoners, what are they? They are prisoners. And also the word corridor. So like, this clever, not even clever, this like um, foolish use of the word corridor. So like, 
A corridor is a neutral space where a third party or your own guys Speaking can come. Himmler, I mean, this is just like yeah. Goebbels and Himmler style propaganda. Like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other Damn. thing, though, you already mentioned, Finn, is like uh, the fact that, you know, the Russians could have just blown the whole place up and just sank the whole thing and just poured water in there and just, you know, just done some pretty brutal stuff. It's war, I, I, you know, I guess you Yeah, could, you could I, I asked uh, my hold Chinese on, uh, family but, who were in the PLA back in the 60s yeah, yeah. Uh, to the 80s uh, about this. They told me that the simplest tactic that you can use for this uh, is just literally, like, get all the police, uh, all the military attack dogs you have, strap time explosives to them, let them loose because they charge at people, and then, yeah, they will charge at people and the bombs will blow up. And it can kill everyone, and you don't have to lose a single soldier. That is right, what the right. PLA back in the seventies would have done for stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 another way. I mean, there's also there's also like high tech options. You could have used like drones and robots and all kinds of stuff, and and then just 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 normal dynamite charges and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of options. Yeah, but I mean, uh, right. The thing about that though, the thing about that though is that. There's a lot of PR, so the the optics, you know, the the narrative of this, right? So, for example, the concept of surrendering, of course, yeah. is why they didn't use this term, right? So, for mainstream media media to talk about Ukrainian forces surrendering, that means then soldiers soldiers that are wavering across the Ukrainian sort of front on Donbass now will hear about the you know godly Azov regiment, the the 300 Spartans um, surrendering. So. The idea of fighting uh, to the death is, is kind of undermined because if the Azov guys, the heroes of Mariupol, yeah. have surrendered, then why should I be fighting? And also the other thing is even if you use the word evacuate and exchange, it opens the idea that Ukraine is willing to give territory to Russia in an exchange. So it already normalizes the concept of, okay, we're Ukraine. We're going to fight for every inch of our territory, crush the invader, but... If you now have an exchange, we go, okay, give us 10 guys for 100 square meters or whatever it is, you know, give us, uh, as, we'll give you Azov style if you give us X amount of people. It says, you know, publicly, sort of implicitly as well, that we are willing to exchange territory. We're willing to concede territory to you, the invader. So it really crushes a lot of, like, the big set pieces of the narrative, like the narrative of don't surrender and the narrative of don't give up the land. Those are both undermined by this act. That uh, well by this defeat, like and by even even if we say it's an exchange and it's an evacuation, it doesn't matter because it still shows concession of land to the invader and concession of of soldiers. Soldiers can soldiers can surrender. That's what it that's what it publicly shows, which is a very big, um, very big point. One thing I, I want to quote was um, there's a guy called uh, Alexander Mercurius of the Duran, um, pretty big uh, podcast geopolitics, um, and they said he says that. The reason that the Russians haven't attacked Zaporizhia, and I, I've been trying to check into this to see this, how, how true this is to what extent, um, is because they have a huge car manufacturing plant there, and the Russians won't go there because um, the factory is owned by the Chinese, which is uh, an interesting point. But um, yeah, uh, and other fail. I mean, other things to discuss in terms of this. I don't know, any, any other thoughts on the Ukraine? Any other updates you want to make on Ukraine situation? Well, I mean, uh, so we follow uh, Defense Politics Asia and, uh, mm. you know, uh, there has been a lot of surrendering of uh, Ukrainian troops again in the Luhansk front. And uh, Russian uh, forces once again uh, made a, a breakthrough at the certain pockets. 
Um, but uh, and, uh, Russia has also uh, used a long-range missile to struck uh, two uh, training facility weapons stockpile type deal with um, one in and around and outside of uh, uh, Kiev and the other like on the Polish border again uh, just uh, uh, recently, just of yesterday, I believe. Mm. And it was um, you know quite uh, the uh, it struck the reserves. The Western, the NATO uh, instructors and trainers, and the weapon supplies with uh, missile hits. So, yeah, that's the update, essentially. And again, right. yes, please go subscribe yeah. to Defense Politics Asia. <laughs> yeah, great channel, great, great guys. Some very big fans of their work. Um, yeah, I, I think there was a river crossing in Severodonetsk, which uh, we're not, it's not a major event. The Russians did lose a number of armored vehicles, uh, a successful counterattack by the Ukrainians. So Severodonetsk is just north of uh, mm-hmm. north of the last city being held by the Ukrainians in Luhansk. Um, so it's an important crossing. Um, yeah, a number of Russian tanks were destroyed. There's a lot of footage on that. Um, I still think they had a successful crossing though. They still managed to yeah. cross. So so yes, but uh, pretty 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 costly. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a river crossing. A river crossing is a uh, you have an obstacle in the middle called the river, right? That is um, a hyper kind of fixated point where the uh, all of a sudden the weapon systems, uh, short, medium, long range, from both sides can just kind of hyper fixate on this one point. Mm. And, you know, with lots of things that go boom of all varieties <clears throat> are fixated on this one point, then, yeah, you're going to take a lot of casualties during river crossing. Um, yeah. that's because like there is likely only one place that is suitable for crossing and you're going at fairly slow speeds no matter what means of transportation you use. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, something that uh, is just inevitably uh, uh, what have happened, right? And here's uh, like, you know, uh, we always uh, have a tendency to hyperfixate on, uh, you know, Russian casualties as if they're supposed to have like a magical force field around them. But um, yeah, there's just right. one problem. Uh, you know, you, you never see like people cheering on like Ukrainian casualties. And yet like, you know, uh, if you talk about Russian victories, you get banned from platforms such as Twitch and PayPal and uh, Patreon. Yeah. Uh, you know, a yeah. lot of uh, uh, the, you know, uh, uh, friends and comrades at the CPI uh, have had, you know, this just recently happened to them. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's all. Yeah, I think I think for this one though, um, in terms of communist news or news from communist parties, there's a statement here from the Communist Party of the Russian Federation that one of our um, one of our colleagues has shared, and I think we should read this. It's from May 16th. It's a direct answer or direct reply um, to the KKE. So, if you have been following our show, you know that the KKE has taken a particular opinion on the war uh, and yeah. are calling. The Russians imperialist uh, in this conflict. So I'm actually going to re- we're going to read this and then just discuss it. So it's a little bit long. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to cover. It. Well, let's see how it goes. Let's just see how it goes. We'll try and skim some parts. Um, <clears throat> so comments on the article of the International Department of the CCKKE on the imperialist war in Ukraine and the stance of the CPRF. I assume you can see this then, Jen. Right? Sorry, I'm share screening, so I can't really see it. Right? Okay, I'm going to assume that you can see. Yeah, it. yeah. Okay, yeah. So- yeah. So on April 23rd, 2022, the newspaper Rizos Pastis, the organ of the Communist Party of Greece, carried an article by the International Department of the CCKKE on the imperialist war in Ukraine and the stance of the CPRF. The article assesses the actions of the CPRF in connection with the Special Operation Russia 
is conducting in Ukraine openly, accusing the party of having a pro-government, i.e. pro-imperialist position. We categorically disagree with this utilitarian assessment. The gist of the article is that in the opinion of the Greek comrades, what is taking place in Ukraine is an imperialist war in the interests of the Russian bourgeoisie. And therefore, by supporting the special operation, the CPRF is advocating a policy that is in line with the United uh, with the ruling United Russia Party and President Putin. So this is from the Greeks then. In insisting on the imperialist character of this war, the Greek comrades proceed from Lenin's well-known thesis that, quote, a struggle for markets and for freedom to loot foreign countries, a striving to suppress the revolutionary movement of the proletariat and democracy in the individual countries, a desire to deceive, disunite, and slaughter the proletarians of all countries by setting the wage slaves of one nation against those of another so as to benefit the bourgeoisie. These are the only real content and significance of the war. However, the comrades did not mention that this statement is contained in Lenin's work, War, 1914-1918. It specifically refers to the First World War, which was indeed a purely imperialistic war of conquest. However, leaving dogma aside, we have to admit that any war has its own specific characteristics. Okay. Uh, the Marxist's task in determining one's position with regard to the war is to determine its character. For an additional, for an addition to imperialist wars, there are national liberation and anti-fascist wars, which have become widespread in the mid-20th century when fascism and Nazism emerged as political phenomenon and national liberation struggles intensified under the impact of the October Revolution. What guided the CPRF in determining its stand? Okay, so in working out its political position on the issue of, of the conduct of the special operation, the party analyzed the concrete historical conditions which objectively led to the crisis in Ukraine. Before the October Revolution in Russia, Ukraine, was, which was part of the Russian Empire, was a typical agrarian country. To strengthen its industry, six industrial areas of the RSFSR in the east and south, which had never been parts of Ukraine, were included in Ukraine. Among them were the Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts. In 1939, Galicia, western Ukraine, previously part of Poland, was added to Ukraine. Thus, the present territory of Ukraine is the result of it becoming part of the USSR. It has been sewn together from disparate patches, from Galicia, Lvov, which were under heavy influence of Poland, Austria, and Hungary, to East Ukraine, which gravitated towards Russia. Socialist Ukraine's uh, industry burgeoned, added to the production of metal and coal, were aviation and rocketry, petrochemistry and power generation, four nuclear power plants, and defense sectors. It was as part of the USSR that Ukraine obtained not only the bulk of its present territory, but also its economic potential to become one of the top 10 European economies. The dissolution of the Soviet Union in December 1991 simultaneously destroyed the centuries-old economic integration of Ukraine and Russia, severing all economic, political, and cultural ties. Today, it is one of the poorest countries in Europe. Its manufacturing industry, with the exception of metallurgy, has been practically destroyed. Ukraine's economy status afloat sorry, Ukraine's economy stays afloat due to Western loans and remittances from people who have left for Europe and Russia in search of some kind of job. Living standards plummeted and emigration rocketed. About 10 million people out of 45 million people have left, the most highly qualified specialists. Ukraine has some of the highest levels of corruption and social differentiation. The country is on the brink of a national catastrophe. Okay. The government coup in Kiev as the basis of fomenting conflict. In February 2014, with the direct assistance of the USA and other NATO countries, a government coup took place in Ukraine. The legitimate government was overthrown. Neo-Nazis came to power. Subsequently, the USA admitted publicly that it had invested about $5 billion in preparing the change of regime, preparing the, regime, the change of regime in the country and in the development of democracy. Needless to say, no one would spend such a gigantic sum like that. As a result of the government coup, power was seized by people from Western Ukraine, from Galicia, where extreme nationalist, anti-Semitic, anti-Polish, Russophobic, and anti-communist sentiments have traditionally been strong. 
forcible assimilation of the Russian-speaking population began. A ban on the Russian language and the decision to switch school education from Russian to Ukrainian met with powerful resistance in the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. People rose up in arms. In the May 11th, 2014 national referendum, 87% of the citizens voted for independence. Thus, the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics were formed on the initiative of the popular mass and not on direction from the Kremlin. After several unsuccessful attempts to seize DPR-LPR, the Kiev Nazis resorted to terror. During eight years of continuing bombardment by heavy artillery, almost 14,000 civilians were killed and tens of thousands were maimed. The infrastructure was severely damaged. Throughout the long eight years, the European countries and the USA looked on the genocide of the Russian people in Donbass with extreme equanimity, thus effectively justifying the actions of the Kiev regime. Today, the EU and USA are displaying unheard of hypocrisy, describing people suffering in the course of battles, but ignoring the fact that the use of civilians as human shields has become the standard practice of those whom they call freedom fighters. Okay, now it gets on to the development of neo-Nazi in Ukraine. Okay, so our comrades, um, in considering the situation in Ukraine, only reluctantly mention the danger of its fascization. And yet one of the main goals of Russia's military occupation or op operation in that country is its denazification. Even American congresspeople and special services admit that Ukraine has become the center of international neo-Nazism. Here are some facts. After Hitler's invasion of the USSR, as we have noted above, extreme nationalistic, anti-Semitic, Russophobic, and anti-communist sentiments in Western Ukraine were running high. SS divisions that were formed there fought the Red Army. Local nationalists, led by Semon Bandera, an ardent Hitler fan, set about exterminating Jews. In Ukraine, Vanderite slaughtered about 1.5 million Jews, one-fourth of all of the Holocaust victims. During the 1944 Volin massacre in Western Ukraine, about 100,000 Poles were slaughtered. Vanderites killed partisans and burned alive civilians in hundreds of Belarusian villages. After the war, anti-communist and anti-Soviet rebels in Western Ukraine, backed by the USA and Great Britain, launched terror against civilians in the period between 1945 and 1953. During those years, Banderites killed about 50,000 citizens. The descendants and successors of these thugs came to power after the 2014 coup. The tradition of anti-Polish, anti-Semitic, anti-Russian terror is very strong among the neo-Nazis who practically run Ukraine today. Nazi ideology is being inculcate, inculcated in Ukraine. Ukrainian fascists who organized and committed atrocities during the Second World War have been officially proclaimed national heroes. Their symbols have been adopted by the state. Marches in honor of fascist criminals are held every year. Streets and squares are being named after them. The Communist Party of Ukraine has been driven underground. Intimidation and assassination of politicians and journalists have become the order of the day. Monuments to Lenin and everything reminiscent of life in the USSR are being destroyed. Today, Banderites like the SD, Storm troops in Germany are the shock brigades of big business. They control every move of the government, constantly blackmailing it with the threat of a government coup. Okay, so now we get on to the present day, the nature of the present day Ukrainian state, okay, backed by the US. Okay. In terms of the Marxist theory, the military conflict in Ukraine cannot be described as an imperialist war, as our comrades would argue. It is essentially a national liberation war of the people of Donbass. From, from Russia's point of view, it is a struggle against an external threat to national security and against fascism. It is no secret, secret that the Donbass militia was unable to resist the many thousand strong foreign armed Ukrainian armed forces. A defeat of the militias would have led to the annihilation of the Russian speaking population, a large proportion of which are citizens of Russia. Under the constitution of the RF, Russia took legitimate action to protect its citizens and ensure its national security because it could no longer, sorry, because it could not have done been done by other means. With the US and EU support, Kiev deliberately sabotages the neg negotiating process in the framework of the Minsk agreements. 
By that point in time, Ukraine had concentrated 150,000 servicemen and Nazi, uh, Nazi battalions in Donbass. Kiev, with U.S. support, was getting set to regain control over Donbass by military means. With the blessing of its American principles, Ukraine was preparing to launch a military operation to seize Donbass and then Crimea in early March of this year. There is a solid body of evidence to confirm the existence of these plans. The Bandirite regime has been preparing for this war for eight years. Servicemen were subjected to relentless ideological brainwashing in the spirit of rank russophobia. Powerful strongholds were being created and the army was provided with the latest weaponry. In line with the imperialist geopolitical goals, the US was gradually drawing Ukraine into the sphere of its military interests, turning the country into a NATO spearhead determined to fight Russia up to the last Ukrainian soldier. As early as December 2021, Russia made a proposal to the US to hold talks on, on non-enlargement of NATO to the east. The Americans evaded giving a direct answer, so in January 2022, Russia warned that in this situation, it would have to take additional measures to protect its national security. Simultaneously, there was talk about deploying U.S. tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Ukraine, which has four nuclear plants and a considerable scientific technical potential, started preparation for creating its own nuclear weapon. Under the Pentagon's patronage, Ukraine set up more than 30 labs to develop uh, bacteriological weapons. There are, there are documents to prove that these laboratories were working with particular dangerous bacteria of deadly diseases and were investigating methods of spreading them to target peoples of different races. All this poses a threat not only to Russia, but to the whole of humankind. It is claimed that this is all about an inter-imperialist contradictions or the struggle over markets and subsoil resources, inability to see the national component of class issues and the class component in national issues leads into the territory of dogmatism. Mm -hmm. Okay, so interests of the Russian oligarchy in Ukraine or lack of the same. So seeking to provide that the war is being waged in the interest of the Russian bourgeoisie in order to seize Ukraine's natural resources and industrial potential, our comrades pluck Lenin's words about the nature of wars out of the historical context. However, the claim that the Russian leadership was preparing to seize Ukraine in advance contradicts facts. From the outset, the Russian leadership, leadership did not support the idea of a referendum on the formation of Donbass People's Republics. Following the Minsk II agreements, Russia, a priori, assumed that Donbass would remain part of Ukraine, albeit with a measure of autonomy. Until the beginning of the military operation, the Russian leadership insisted on compliance with Minsk II, which would leave Donbass as part of Ukraine. Mm. So where is preparation for imperialist seizure? Since 91, Ukraine, its industry and resources were objects of super exploitation by US and EU monopolies. The Russian oligarchy did not take part in dividing the pie, which was in the sphere of Western interests. Moreover, the Russian oligarchy was against the military operation in Ukraine. It was striving to become integrated in the world oligarchy and was already under massive pressure from the West, which urged it to exert pressure on the government to induce it to preserve Russia's pro-Western orientation. Besides, the Russian oligarchs suffered consider considerably from the Russian military operation in Ukraine. They were put under sanctions and are seeing their palaces and yachts taken away from them and their bank accounts frozen. We do not have the slightest sympathy for those who have been plundering Russia for three decades and are now being deprived of their loot. We merely want to stress that the Russian oligarchy was not only not interested in the military operation, but has suffered from it. By refusing to back this operation, big business has lost not, lost not only its property and money, but its influence within the Russian ruling elite. Mm. Note, which class forces were the fiercest opponents of the Russian military operation in Ukraine? There were, uh, these were above all big monopoly capital. Its political representatives in the liberal milieu and their creative lackeys among the so-called intelligentsia. Of course, we recognize the existence of inter-imperialist contradictions. The desire of imperialist predators to seize the natural and energy resources of other countries 
Russia is a victim of the West's plan to turn our country into a source of cheap raw materials. We have been opposing these plans for decades, but we do not believe that Russia, for all the flaws of its current political system based on the power of big capital, has overnight turned to, into such a predator. The struggle in Ukraine has a fundamentally different character, which defies dogmas. Okay, so we're we coming on to the uh, position. Yeah. yeah, we're nearly done here. Actually, I think we, we can finish this. The position of the CPRF, the CPRF was the first to define the nature of the regime, which seized power in Ukraine during the Maidan protests in 2014. Thenceforth, all the party's activities have been based on the class essence of the ongoing political processes. We have always been critical of the Russian leadership's external policy, which effectively ignored the interests of the peoples, which until recently were part of the single Soviet state. Those who attentively follow our actions, and we assume that the Greek comrades are thoroughly conversant with our documents, will know that it was the CPRF that has, since 2014, consistently called for the recognition of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics. No other political party in Russia has done as much to support the population of Donbass. From the start, we supported the return of Donbass to Russia. It is not the CPRF that follows the line of the, United, of the ruling United Russia Party and President Putin, but they, under the pressure of historical imperatives, have to follow the route which the CPRF has advocated for for three decades. In this situation, it is fair to say that we almost blindly support Putin's policy in Ukraine. The Russian communists take the most... So one second. In this situation, is it fair to say that we follow, almost blindly support, Putin's policy in Ukraine? The Russian communists take the most active part in protecting the, the LPR-DPR. Hundreds of Communist Party members are fighting the Nazis as members of the armed forces of these republics. Dozens of communists have died in this struggle. The CPRF has, during these part, past eight years sent to these three republics 93 convoys carrying 13,000 tons of humanitarian aid and hosted thousands of children who came to Russia for rest and medical treatment. All these past years, the CPRF has been urging the Russian leadership to recognize the independence of Donbass. Frankly, we are not pleased to hear our Greek comrades speak with a touch of disdain about so-called people's republics of Donbass, because these are precisely people's republics, which came into being as a result of expressed will of the people. The citizens of LPR-DPR have defended them at the cost of thousands of civilian and military lives over the eight grim years of resistance to the creeping aggression of Banderite Nazis. It is a matter of signal importance that fighting the Banderites are not only the Russian army, but also the militia units of Donbass itself, among whom communists and mining workers form a large stratum. Where do you see the protection of the interests of the oligarchy? Are our comrades who daily expose their lives to mortal danger also defending the interests of the Russian oligarchs? or to defend the interests of common people who have become victims of neo-Nazis who have seized power, seized power in Ukraine. One has to be very reluctant to see the real state of affairs to claim that the CPRF is acting in line with the ruling group. The pitch of class political struggle in Russia is as ever high. Persecution of communists and party supporters, even after the start of the military operation in Ukraine, shows that there is no class harmony between the CPRF and the present ruling elite. One can cite many examples of our comrades being subjected to repressions. Our response to the persecution of our comrades is robust. Uh, by the same token, we are vehement critics of the government's socio-economic policy. No other party in Russia can claim that it has been a more active critic of the authorities. Over the 30-odd years since the anti-communist coup of 91, we have provided ample proof of our resolute struggle against the ruling elite. That is why our party enjoys such broad support of the masses. In the September 2021 elections for the state Duma, the CPRF won almost 90% of the votes, and this in spite of the well-oiled and long-established marches of vote-rigging we are confident that the actual levels of popular support is substantially higher. This is because in the spirit of Marxism-Leninism, we seek to study the interests and mood of the people. Incidentally, by supporting this Russian special operation in Ukraine, the CPRF has expressed the will of the overwhelming majority of Russian citizens. 
As for claims about courting nationalist approaches and nationalist forces, we are proud to declare that the CPRF is the leading patriotic left force in Russia. We deem it to be our internationalist duty to protect the interests of the Russian people and the other people who have lived for centuries together with the Russians, above all the Ukrainians and the Belarusians. Denying the historical significance of the Russian's world or the Russian civilization is, in our view, as absurd as denying the great significance of the ancient Greek civilization. When Manolis Glezos tore down the Nazi flag atop the Acropolis, he was not guided only by class interests, but also by the national pride of the Greeks who had launched a resolute struggle against the German occupation. Okay, so I'm not going to read the... Oh, okay, one paragraph. Okay, I'll read the final paragraph. It's been very long. Okay. Attitude of the com of the world community to events Good in Ukraine. God. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> While the Western politicians and the media who arrogantly claim to represent the world community openly take the side of the neo-Nazis, major countries in Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America, which have first experience of European and American neo-colonialism, quite rightly see the events in Ukraine as Russia's struggle against the US-led unipolar world. The countries that are home to 60% of the planet's population either support the Russian operation or take a neutral stance. Only those who in 1941 brought war to our country as members of the Hitler coalition take an aggressive stand. These are the countries of Europe as well as the USA, Great Britain, which have contributed a great deal to the revival of the Nazi military machine after its defeat in the First World War. Today, Russia is again fighting fascism and those who support in Europe and the USA. Remembering the heroic deeds of the Communist Party of Greece in the struggle against Nazism and against the military dictatorship, we categorically brush aside the idea that our comrades could have consciously joined the camp of those who today try to crush Russia with Ukraine's hands. We reiterate our profound respect for the KKE as a party, which has made an immense contribution to the revival of the international communist and workers' movements after the collapse of USSR 91. However, the words of our comrades sometimes sound like the statement of the ultimate truth we are for a comradely dialogue, which has always helped communists all over the world to understand the essence of element events and work out their correct, genuine Marxist approach to their assessment. Okay, wow, that was quite the document. Um, thoughts? <laughs> okay, um, so a few things. One is that... Um, what people don't tend to understand is that after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russia became a resource colony for the West with a comprador bu uh, uh, bourgeois class, with uh, led by, of course, no other than Boris Yeltsin. But mm. uh, the democratic system of uh, the Russian government also allows the Russian Duma to be a place of the will of the people. So Putin is, you know... Uh, forced his hand is forced by the will of the russian people which includes the russian socialists and communists to you know conduct uh, uh, this uh, special military operation and you know russia uh, just like any other society is not a, a a filthy society where it's just like one god king and the extension of his consciousness is the rest of the country like come on that's that yeah. is like uh that that is so orientalist to a level that is just unacceptable and yes i am talking about the right. kke which now comes the second part hmm. uh, which is that the kke along with a lot of other so-called marxists have reached a level of uh, ultra-dogmatism to the point where they are actually the uh, 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 undialect so undialectical and so uh, all Marx said uh, specific situations require specific analysis. This is something that every Chinese uh, uh, middle schooler 
ever since you know seventh grade knows and mm-hmm. um yet a lot of western communists uh, and just communists all over the world uh, doesn't understand this concept yeah. context and yeah. um the resort to you know things like uh everything is inter-imperialism you know uh, anti-imperial as long as it's a country with tanks and missiles that's imperialism yeah. right uh there is no uh, uh and uh for them it is this kind of mentality that the, as long as there is a market there's it's imperialism as long as there is religion it's imperialism if there is even original unique culture and civilizational values that's imperialism too mm-hmm. it's this mm-hmm. kind of um extremely anti-people perspective that uh, uh, disregards the material condition, disregards the will of the people, disregards the yeah. uh, uh, social zeitgeist, disregards everything Hegel, Marx, uh, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao talks about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instead, just a quote dump. It, yeah. This is a, a level of like, so, and dismiss the idea that there is a human psyche, that the people can be manipulated, that the United States you know, have been doing ever since MK Ultra has been you know researching narrative warfare to manipulate the hearts and minds of the people that the mm. people the proletariat are not saints they're just regular mm. people who can be manipulated just like you and me mm. Mm. Uh, and, and um it's a very objective and material process and they simply don't admit that i've had personally had a maoist uh, and you know this kind of ultras tell me that uh for example uh in the kazakhstan uh whole uh uh, uh, uh uprising yeah, yeah 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 uh that color revolutions don't exist that every single uprising is just the will of the people this level right. of ignorance yeah. yeah yeah selective uh 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 ignorance even which is implying evil mm-hmm. um it's unacceptable it is you know, anti-people to uh, anti-proletariat to uh, uh, book worshiping to an acceptable degree right, that they right. have become uh, uh, the the propaganda wing of the CIA. Yeah, that's also an effective. So, if anything, yeah. the the KPRF wasn't harsh enough on the KKE and the kinds and uh, their kind, and you know, right. Right, 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 right. Well, I mean, I think it's not a time to make splits. Uh, it's never okay. There are times for splits, but I, I think that I think I, I think I agree with with not being too harsh on them right now. Uh, I, I I think that the document, like what they said, is pretty condemning anyway. I think they they make their point very strongly. Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 I think in terms of this whole idea of imperialism, right? So we we've discussed this before. Like we looked at the definition. If we we did the quote thing, right? You look at a, at a quote from Lenin. You go, well, what are the five categories or, or how a country becomes imperialist? We looked at that, and you know, it was already lacking at that point. But this point that the CPRF makes in this document about the fact that Russia um, wanted the Minsk II agreements, which kept the DPR and LPR as a part of Ukraine with some degree of autonomy and whatnot. So the idea that Russia, this is, is a sign of Russian imperialism, Russian expansion, uh, ignores eight years of negotiation, eight years of negotiation where they spent, you know, how many hours and again, years uh, trying to keep the Donbass in Ukraine. And we're happy for that to be the case. Sure, with with like, like sort of constitutional elements to it, but nonetheless still a part of Ukraine. So the idea that this is just merely a grab 
ignores uh, those two, like that that fact, that eight-year-old fact um, of, of the fact that well, they were negotiating and didn't want to have even handed over. But I, I think I'm not going to try and re-stress the points made there. I think they made um, great, strong points already. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you'd like, we can move on to um, Turkey. So Turkey is blocked um, Sweden and potentially also I think Finland's attempt to join NATO. So the stated reason, public stated reason, which I think is the reason, is that um, Sweden uh, has sanctioned in the past Turkey um, for human rights violations and, and whatnot, but particularly, sorry, for the coup, for the coup, the attempted coup um, in Turkey that happened, I think, what, it was six years ago or so. But in addition to that, uh, Sweden also has... Um, Kurdish, uh, yeah, Kurdish Workers' Party uh, members in Sweden, and Turkey is demanding that they declare that the Kurdish Workers' Party as a terrorist organization. So, so Turkey is basically saying, you can join NATO if you do these two things, which is quite, um, <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty, uh, I don't know what the Swedish are going to do in relation to that. It's quite a, quite a, uh, and, and the fact that they made it public is quite, I'm quite surprised. Yeah. Well, I thought that they would have been, if they, if they wanted to found a flag. Go ahead. So essentially, uh, Turkey is a NATO member, uh, a part yeah. of this, uh, you know, uh, missile launch pad against uh, uh, Russia and other, uh, uh, you know, peoples of the world kind of idea. But Turkey is also its own entity, its own kind of conceptual uh, society, where, uh, you know, uh, United States also funds all sorts of things, such as... Uh, uh, the Kurds, as long uh, uh, as well as uh, you know, other uh, 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 groups in Syria, to be against Turkey, because they also have a, a degree of uh, uh, independence and indigeneity to them as well, despite being a NATO country. So this is just a, a, a playing out of this conflict, even within the structural framework of NATO. Right? Uh, we've known mm -hmm. that uh, Turkey never kind of uh, fully got along with the NATO imperative. They wanted to buy S four hundred missiles. Because the uh, U.S. Mm. wouldn't sell them F-35 and yeah, so on and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, this is just yet another case of uh, that happening. Essentially, Turkey, uh, though also fairly you know, chauvinistic of, of, of a country and pretty you know, extremist and populist, uh, what have you, uh, borderline religious. But, uh, you know, uh, it has a different interest, uh, a different uh, uh, imperative uh, that uh, than the imperialist West. So, uh, you know, uh, in that sense, this is what we saw. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Turkey sees that it's not in their interest to uh, have this happen and to escalate. Turkey always, has always played a side of trying to pacify the whole, you know, uh, uh, conflict ever since the special military operation uh, started. And um, this is yet another part for their own interest and for the sake of peace, uh, as they've said before to try to, you know, mm. uh, not escalate the whole situation. And luckily, you know, uh, for a country to join NATO, it needs to have unanimous vote, right? So both Turkey and Croatia uh, 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 voted against this, which, you know, yeah. good. Like, that is the kind of, you know, whatever reason you're doing it from, uh, if it is de-escalating and not adding fuel to the fire uh, of the dumpster uh, that is the war, uh, then, uh, yeah, that's a good thing. That's all right, I can right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you're right. I, I yes, Cro uh, Croatia also um, has said 
uh, let's see here, President Zoran Milanovic told the N1 TV channel that he would instruct the country's permanent representative to NATO to vote against this move. So this is, yeah, from a day ago. This is from May 19th. Um, uh, the reason for this one is, of course, uh, Croats in Bosnia are being destroyed as a political entity, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, I don't think there's any more comment for this one here on, on, on this particular article I'm reading, reading. but uh, yes, Croatia also um, saying they'll block the move. So that, I think that, I don't know if, if the that means Sweden and Finland's bids are dead, uh, but it certainly doesn't look good. I think when it was only Turkey, it seemed like maybe that can be overcome with they make some concessions but if croatia is adding to it then it makes it more complicated so we we'll yet to see i mean at least domestically sweden and finland are you know happy to make the move which to be honest you could have a situation which which is kind of already already there in the sense that you can have nato troops in sweden and finland as well as missiles without being part of nato right so Finland is in it, it can can quite comfortably just say, okay, we're not part of NATO, but you can put a military base on the border. You can put a U.S. military base. You can put a U.S. launch pad. It's their you know their right to declare that. Yeah. So there could be a, a third option here where that happens. Um, and also the fact that Finland right now is doing uh, military exercises with NATO countries. So um, in a sense, you know, it's already yeah. in the sphere of NATO. Uh, and this vote, you know, this thing of like, let's become formal members. Mm, sure, that that makes it more like, you know, the, the border is certainly harder. But right now, mm -hmm. I'd say that they already are. There's a NATO creep, right? So there's already NATO. NATO has already bled into or leaked into um, Finland and Sweden militarily anyway. Uh, so that could be a, thir a third route here. So the idea of that yeah. or second route. They don't join NATO formally, but they independently, unilaterally then say, okay, or bilaterally say to the US, you can have nukes on our border, no problem. You can put a Patriot missile battery here and um, THAAD, whatever you, THAAD or whatever you want here. Um, that could also happen too. So that's that's the this, the NATO news. The US has invaded Somalia, mm -hmm. uh, apparently. So uh, have you heard about this, Jen? Yup. Okay, so what are your thoughts? So let me just read Yet the, again, the, the yeah, uh, the United States is uh, sending 500, uh, 700, I believe soldiers to That's somalia the, again uh, like yeah yeah I'll, I'll, I'll read it for you here so it's uh biden approves plan to redeploy several hundred ground forces into somalia uh yeah there we go yeah let's see uh 700 ground troops yes hold on hold a second no so one second uh so there were already troops there so biden has signed an order to authorize the military once again to redeploy hundreds of special operations forces inside somalia That's like, what what is that going to do? Like, please, like, yeah, seven hundred soldiers uh, 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 on a peacekeeping mission with like vehicle with shitty vehicles that are top heavy and, and uh, easy to flip over and will crush your neck, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, soldiers who only know like how to fight with rifles and forty millimeter grenade launchers and you know. Uh, uh, light machine guns, but uh, like literally does not understand any kind of anything else. Uh, who uh, soldiers who like freeze when, when they get shot at and doesn't understand like you need to take cover and return fire and fire and maneuver, even you just get pinned down in, uh, in a place and nobody can like even uh, return fire. Like, what use is sending 700 people for? Because 
Like, I guarantee you, like, it's not going to be 700 all, like, frontline fighters, at least 300. Well, I mean, to be honest, I believe it's, it's special operations. And then you're creating, you know, more hassle uh, than, than, than you can handle. Like, what on earth is this? Is this stupidity and evil at the same time? <laughs> I don't know about that. But, yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's the Middle East, the U.S. Uh, it's just a it's just sort of rubber stamping things we already know. Like the U.S. does special forces operations all over North Africa and all over the Middle East all the time. Um, so this is just a, again, uh, this is a common, like this is, re- this is a reality. It's just us acknowledging reality that, the U.S. has got troops in Somalia. But, I mean, 700, I guess it's a public declaration of, of permanent troops yeah. in Somalia. Um, let's hope they don't have a black down hall moment. So, anyway. I think we have because, to... Because, like, remember only a year ago, the before, like, the United States economy has deteriorated to its current state, uh, it was only able to, main, to have enough logistics to maintain three Bradley infantry fighting vehicles in Syria for like a few months, less than half a year. Mm-hmm. And then they, they couldn't even upkeep the logistics to maintain three three vehicles, okay? Yeah. Uh, not, not even as a show of force. They can't even do it. So then like, what, what, is, what, what is this? What, what on earth is this then? Yeah, yeah. Like we're not even talking about the moral issue. Like of course it's messed up. Of course it's evil. But like it's stupid. Even from an American perspective. <laughs> yeah. I, also, I think the other thing to, to think about here is the French have been doing this kind of special forces operation, small light infantry units in Mali and Burkina Faso and all over the place in West Africa. And, I mean, they had some limited successes in the early years, pushing them out of the capitals and stuff. But in recent years, they've been pulling back, and Very one of the limited. demands. Yeah, and, and, you know, of, remember yeah. how easily the special forces the... were ambushed and killed by just a truck uh, pickup truck convoy by ISIS yeah, 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 yeah. in West yeah. Africa. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, so, so the thing here is that they've been pulling back lately. So there's been limitations and like failures on on those operations. So the French have actually been pulling those troops back, a because of of, of the failure, sort of like not achieving objectives, but also the West African governments have. I've been asking them to leave, to get out. And uh, to bring in the Russian element, they've also been then calling in the Russians. Uh, and I think in one of the coups back in earlier this year, but when there were like 12 different coups across West Africa and Central Africa. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the one talked about what? where the military general speaks on TV. Right. Right, right, right. That's it. That's it. Yeah. But um, the Burkina Faso, one of the protests, in the, in the protests and the people protesting the street of after having overthrown the government and, or the military had overthrown the government was they're saying you know bring the russians in we want the russians here to deal with um to deal with the, the islamists uh and this is where you get like a whole wagner group and these guys who have been successful in in the central african republic um so I, yeah i don't know unless unless these new these 700 like special forces guys these us ones have learned some tricks from the wagner group i don't know if they'll be as successful um in in somalia dealing with al-shabaab and whatnot but um, anyway, let, let's move on. We've got to cover still some big stories actually over time here. But um, the statement from Antonio Guterres. So 1.7 billion people could be pushed into hunger and poverty. This is from Antonio Guterres himself. We discussed this to an extent last week. So the Ukraine crisis, the grain, the yeah. fertilizer from Russia, and also so, knock-on effects, right? Yeah. Is, is that India, India is, is limiting wheat exports. 
So I think we should uh, sort of put right. these together. This is a right? continuation, clearly, mm. of the theme yeah. from last week of, uh, you know, uh, hunger and plague and chaos, right? Yeah. Uh, India, as we've predicted, with that kind of insanely high uh, temperature, they probably won't even have enough food to feed themselves. So they're, you know, stopping wheat exports. And so that's the, you know, uh, a wheat. Uh, and like Germany, uh, EU immediately criticized India for not exporting wheat to Europe. Like how, like to pull, to pull like a meme, a meme poll, how dare you? Like this is one of those situations where like you, you can actually... Thank you, Dust James. <laughs> um, this is one of those situations where, like, you could actually say that, you know, when the people themselves are starving, why do they have a duty to export to you? They're not your serfs, you know. Um, and then we we are seeing, uh, like, yeah, but like due to all of this artificial uh, uh, chaos, uh, we are having uh, this kind of, uh, 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 yeah, like uh, 1.7 billion people are going to face a, a famine. Right. And, uh, well, the, there's just, uh, the, the problems are yet to come, right? Like, the huge story uh, right after last week's uh, episode was the baby formula shortage in the United States. You know, yes. Uh, yes. Like, good God, that is, I mean, like, uh, as, you know, uh, someone from China, uh, like, we know, like, there is a lot of things that you, you can do to uh, kind of counter that. Uh, even if you can't do breastfeeding, you can do things like uh, 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 like uh, soups that are uh, rich in protein that you boil out of a uh, uh, fish and whatever, and then like you can like boil a little bit of rice in a lot of water to like get some starch uh, glucose mm. to be fed to the ba- uh, ba- uh, to the baby, right? Like these kind of yeah. like half-assed measures that you can kind of do. Uh, yeah. But like still, it's showing that um, and uh, a colleague of ours. Uh, told us that uh, there has been massive uh, uh, fires across Europe and the United States in uh, food uh, storage depots. Um, so all of these, uh, and there were like uh, freaking TikTok conspiracy videos of, uh, but like it's uh, American farmers talking about how uh, the top f- fertile, uh, fertile top soils of their farms uh, were being bought up and just dug away and dumped away by the U.S. government. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, as to damage U.S. agriculture, so uh, yeah, it's it's this kind of semi-natural, semi-artificial kind of mass chaos of right. uh, hunger and uh, uh, disease. Right by disease, we mean like the incompetence of COVID management mm-hmm. is definitely artificial. I mean, you know, we're not yeah, going to dive COVID, into the conspiracy the of where COVID yeah, yeah, came yeah. from, but like the incompetence in terms of management is definitely artificial. That's something completely manual. Mm-hmm. And in addition, so this week we have two uh, more th- uh, news. One is the update on the uh, uh, bird flu that's been spreading in the United right. States. It has now spread to New Jersey, a very populated place. This uh, bird flu effect infects humans as well and outright kills chickens and ducks. People, that's right. all food. Like That is literally all food source. Chickens yeah. and ducks serve a very important place in the human agricultural chain ever since antiquity. Because mm. they digest uh, 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 grains and food scraps that we are not able to consume. And if you feed them that, then they turn it into protein, such as eggs, or when they get old, they can no longer eat. 
lay eggs or if it's a male then like you kill them for meat and then you know it's very uh, delicious and nutritious that's what we do in china right literally every person that grew up uh, eating a village knows how to kill their own uh, gut their own fish and kill their own chicken you know uh, uh this like if this is all to just like go away like food prices are already going up in the united states yeah. how yeah. much worse like you know is life going to be uh well yeah. a lot actually uh you know uh and the, combine this with a well there's currently a monkey pox uh it's like yeah, pox, monkey pox. Uh, outbreak so, all across the world uh what uh, is monkeypox now I, even in so-called developed countries here in the west yeah i, I just want to see what is monkeypox so it what monkeypox belongs to the family of pox viruses are, are you going to show an image richard it's uh, quite disturbing if you are uh, okay, no 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 don't worry i won't you, uh, i don't try to quite Okay, no, no, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna show the pictures then. Okay, so, so I assume it's like a flesh. Okay, okay. All right. So, among lab mm -hmm. monkeys in 58, the first monkeypox case in 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 human was diagnosed in 1970. Okay, so it's common to the DRC and Nigeria, uh, of course, than 200. So they get like 200 cases a year or 500 cases in 2017. So the one identified in the U.S. and European cases tends to produce milder disease. In the other common branch of the virus, of all the virus strains that we're, we're aware of, um, of among all of these cases that have occurred in the last two weeks, are the West African clade. The West African clade of monkeypox is much more benign than the Congo Basin clade. Okay. Yeah. So, right. So, around 1% of people who contract West African. Yeah. Uh, it was monkeypox. found in monkeys, but the present in a lot of uh, uh, species, right. which includes us. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, that's pretty bad. So, monkeypox and bird flu. And food shortages and all sorts of other terrible news. So, yeah, uh, the one the other thing we wanted to cover was that, uh, yeah. So, the other thing we wanted to cover was the Sri Lankan situation. But we have actually run out of time, so um, we're going to have to cover that next week. The Sri Lankan situation. So we've got a wonderful article from the the communists to read for that one, um, and it gives a more of a detail about finance capital, about the IMF and the World Bank and whatnot. Uh, but we don't have time to do it this week. We have to uh, we have to close. Um, so we're going to have to read that next week. But I'm sure that the situation mm -hmm. will not be resolved yeah. within the next seven days. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you do have any other stuff or any other things you want us to research or investigate or comment on, um, we've already got this conversation about Turkey and Erdogan. and, and yeah, Please leave a comment and uh, we will respond just like we do in today. Right, right, exactly. So, yeah, if we want to look into that about Erdogan. Uh, so last week we had a comment about Taiwan and we commented on that. So if you have any of stuff, please just mention it. And if you haven't already, please like, share, subscribe, and notifications bell. And, yeah, so our podcast is still going. We'll be putting this on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll uh, or watching and we'll catch up with you next week. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.